0: Good. how are you i'm doing well i'm doing well sorry i missed last week
1: oh that's fine that's fine it looks like it's quite early over there
0: huh it looks it sounds like it's quite early over there um yeah i mean it relatively it's later now i mean it's changing the time it's kind of crazy <laughs> but um yeah it was it was funny i woke up you know, I, I woke up on my own, I hadn't set my alarm yet, and I was like, wait a wow. second, there's something wrong, because I had <laughs> to so wake up earlier, right. I walked outside, and I couldn't figure out whether I was going to be early or late, I couldn't figure that out, but the only thing I know was that the time that we met before, it was dark, and now when I walked outside, <laughs> it was light, so right. I, I had a problem. Okay, <laughs> you're,
1: right, like, you're on time, yeah.
2: Um,
0: so, so how
1: how is it? How is it under the new government over there with the new, with all the uh, buzz about the election settling down, or has it settled down? I don't know. Has it settled down? Maybe it hasn't settled down.
0: Well, uh, I you know I don't know what everyone's politics are. I, I know I talked to, I was teaching for Indic a while ago, and I know there it was maybe even four years ago when Trump was first starting right. up, and I know that there was support you know from India for. For Trump, because well, I don't know what, but I, I personally am very happy that he's out. Okay. That he's uh, Exceptionally unpredictable. Right. Um, I, I, uh, you know, politically, I'm I'm pretty far left. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm i I'm a writer, finally. You know, it's like
2: right.
0: I, I, my my. Politics is politics. My my real my real interest is human beings. You know of in the way we are. Politics of is just part of being a human being, right?
1: No, no, absolutely. Uh,
0: but uh, But I I. Biden is another you know old white guy to me. You know so. Okay. <laughs> but. But that said, you know I'm I'm very happy that Trump is out.
1: Okay. He, no, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. You should say that your interest is people because I was reading this book by uh, Lajos Agri. You might have heard the name. It's uh, uh, The Art of Dramatic Writing. So in uh, that he says, therefore, every writer, it is extremely important that you're an observer of people. Yeah, well, it
0: was, it's funny, actually, this morning, I was thinking, okay, so probably I mean, I'm not really a political person. I mean, I'm a I'm I'm a writer. I that means that I like to, um, I like to sit at a desk and type. That's mainly <laughs> what I like to do. Right. So right. so uh, you know, I don't like crowds. I don't uh-huh. go marching. I don't hold signs. Right. You, know, you, you cannot get me to you know shout a cliche. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's just, I, I, I can't, I mean, I'm just not, I, I mean, I I can feel tingling in my arms when I even think about it, you know? I mean, you know, uh, an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. I cannot say such a thing. I mean, okay. it's just, um, but, uh, but I was actually thinking this morning, you know, politically, uh-huh. I mean, it's not, I'm not politically an anarchist, but I am okay. philosophically an anarchist. So like, that's yeah, interesting. Probably, you, and and I know you know, like Indian philosophy has a lot to do with egolessness. Of course, and, absolutely,
1: absolutely. And,
0: and my and my philosophy actually has a lot to do with that too. Okay. Um, and, uh, a Jewish mystic named Martin Buber sort of describes my feeling about it. He talks about the relationship between people and even things being one of I and thou, as opposed to mm-hmm. I. I and it, right? So okay. I, I and it is sort of that relationship of, you know, I'm I have an ego, but you're right. a thing. You're right. a thing that's a that's a problem uh-huh. that I have to figure out how to negotiate. Okay. And Buber was more like, no, there's I and there's thou. It's sort of like it's a little bit like Namaste, right? It's a little bit like the higher, you know, the the mm. divinity, right, us meet. Right, and, and it is in all things. I mean, this is this is pretty. I don't know much about Hinduism, but I I can sense, it, and even in what I read from that people are admitting, uh-huh. I right. sense that this is very much in line with what, what I think.
1: It um, is. It is. I mean, that's that. If we started discussing that, I think we will be here all week, <laughs> right, because Indian true. philosophy it's 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 similar, but essentially what Indian philosophy says is that uh, there is no I, there is no thou. There is just a super-consciousness.
0: Right, 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 right. So I think that that's you know, boober is like that too. So I, I mean, okay. you, can't, you can't really use words to describe what they mean. Of course, right. Words are are too limited. But yeah. anyway, I was thinking I was thinking this morning that I might want to write an essay about writing and essentially anar- anarchy in writing because anarchy, okay. as, as I see it, is is a horizontal structure, right? Without mm-hmm. Without a creation of hierarchies, and mm-hmm. if there's no hierarchies, there's no you know um, there's no binary of good and evil basically.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: and that that's that's an idea that I was just thinking of is like really a, because I was wondering why why do these you know why do these ideas make sense to me? But they make sense to me right. in regards to being a practicing writer. No, but that's... You come into writing with your own sense of binaryism. Right. Your own sense of what's good and bad, then mm-hmm. you can't witness the world accurately. True. Because you're basically coming in with your own bias. Absolutely. Right?
1: And, and and I, I can see
0: I can see when you say uh, what you say about
1: anarchy because uh, without anarchy, there is no order. So every order is preceded by anarchy and every uh, every uh, system of order is followed by anarchy. So it is what we say in the Indian philosophy that uh, you have the dissolution or the destruction of the entire universe preceding creation. So there is a cycle of creation, destruction, creation, destruction. That goes on. So, in the same way, I would assume that you need anarchy, and then you have order, and then you have anarchy, and then you have order. So, if you look at world history, that's how it
0: has been, right? Right, but when and right, and there's some deeper places to go. But I agree that yeah. we, we might get. Ah, <laughs> uh, <let's>, yeah. <laughs> let's keep it on the back burner, though. Absolutely, we should. <laughs> we should. It's, it's really important for all of us. You know, yeah. we're you know we're all here thinking about being a writer, and I and the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for us as writers is to be a witness of mm-hmm. life. We're not yes, trying true. to make life. I mean, yeah. this is my belief. So, yeah. I mean, if you're, I do actually have this, and it's you know, probably important to say, I, have, I make this distinction, that the artist tries to witness life and they're mm-hmm. absent themselves. And this is a long tradition. You know, uh, T.S. Eliot says, you know, talks about impersonality um, a, a big figure for me is John Keats talks about negative capability. These are like okay. these are similar things. Negative capability is the ability to, in a sense, absent yourself mm-hmm. but, you know, to anyway, I don't want to get too far into it. But anyway, the <laughs> of artist course, the artist uh, witnesses right. and has to remove their bias. If, yes, they're, not doing, if, if they're not doing that, uh-huh. Then what they're doing is creating propaganda.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And and certainly stories. You know we're storytellers. Mhm. Storytellers do propagate ideas. They almost can't help it because we can't finally Friction. become a – We we it's impossible for us to be a, a complete witness because we're always constrained by our own point of view. We we can't help it, but we can strive for it. Mhm. But
1: isn't it necessary to have a bias? Isn't it necessary to have a bias? Because if I don't have a stand, if I don't take a stand, then what am I writing about? It, it might as well become an essay, right? Where I'm arguing both sides of the coin. I, I need a starting point, right? So as a, as a writer, isn't it necessary that we have a certain bias? It need not be fanatical, but I need to have a starting point, right? A viewpoint I need to have.
0: Oh, well, I mean, this is this is interesting. I'm not... I'm not sure. I mean, this is a for me. It's a nuance. For okay. me, it's a nuance. Okay. What is our intention? What are we trying to do? Mm-hmm. Like I say, we can't help but have a bias because bias, yeah. we're we're all we're all imprisoned within our point of view, right? So mm-hmm. we experience the world in a certain way, and so right. that's this disposition and we come into we, you know, we have the world coming into us. And right. then that also basically reflects our world view going out. Absolutely, right? so, absolutely. So, so we have that we have that stance in the beginning, no matter what. Correct. And so yeah, you're right that that does have to that that does need to be there in order to in fact excite us to the right. moment that makes us act and write. Correct. Correct. But once we get into the writing, mm-hmm. I think we have to really be now. We have to. We're going to talk about it today.
1: Okay, let's do that.
0: that. Let's we do that. One. Sure, sure. Hey, I, w- I would love to see everybody if I could. If you can turn on your, I don't know if you, if you can turn on your um, videos. I'd like to say hi. Um,
3: Good evening. I,
0: I, 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 my apologies for missing last week. <laughs> I was Rob Hi already.
4: Otis, this D V, your old friend. I used to be a student some years ago. Where are you? Where? Divi. You can see me, can't you? Okay. Here, I'll, I'll mask myself. Um, I don't know how to put my picture on.
0: Oh, you DV, do recall yeah. the name
4: Divi, don't you?
0: I do. I do remember you. We had such a great uh, <laughs> yeah. class. Good to you was, see, we're always dropping you. into the philosophical conversation. We have to be careful. We yep,
4: to yep, yep. Let's get into the course.
0: Yeah, yeah. We um, Right, but, you know, the so, but in terms of the, the, the philosophical aspects, I think that's really trying to talk about, you know, what we, what our intentions are as, as artists, because that's how I see us. You know, we're artists that use storytelling. That's what writers are doing. Writers are using this form called the story in various ways. It can be an essay. I believe an essay is a story. I believe, you know, obviously narrative fiction, nonfiction, even um, arguments of various kinds, they're all stories. And stories are kind of something that have generated out of our, I I believe have generated out of our uh, evolutionary psychology. Stories are a way that human beings learn things and stories you all know, and I also know that human beings have evolved with stories, right? From the time of language, language was used to tell stories, right? And that is largely what it did. I mean, even in the, the most, I, I don't like the terms primitive and things like that, but even among the animals, right? They communicate to each other when there's a predator, right? They start squawking or doing whatever. It's language that's basically prefiguring events. When I see <laughs> when I see the eagle, I know that the, <laughs> that you know the the chicken might be taken, right? So this is a little bit what language does, and stories do this, and this is going to be sort of fundamental to what we're talking about today. I think that you know as we. We're, we're all capable of being such intellectuals. So we're capable of thinking about things in an abstract way, basically in a, in a way removed from our bodies, right? So we just think about stuff. But stories are really based in learning how to survive um, by both witnessing conflict and then, I want to say prefiguring it, but that's not doesn't really make sense. But stories are a way of saying, oh, you know what? There's you, my fellow chicken, and there's the eagle up here. This is a potential problem, and I'm going to use language to talk about it, you know, <laughs> which is run away, da-da-da, you know, run away from the eagle that's going to come to get you. So what I'm saying is, We today often think about language in a very abstract way, but what I would like to try and convince everyone to do is to return to a much more physical understanding of what stories are supposed to do, because this is what really engages your reader. We write stories to recreate conflict difficulties in life that excite the emotion of the reader. They feel something. So we're not engaged in some kind of non-physical intellectual activity. Ram and I might talk for a long period of time, I'm sure, without having, you know, it's going to be interesting to us. We'll be intellectually excited, but we're not going to have shortness of breath, right? We're not going to have panic. We're not going to feel relieved. And have a feeling of catharsis when we arrive at the end. That's what we do with stories. That's what we do when you watch a movie that really, you know, the impassioned, you know, uh, romance, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, you know, will he get her back? Da 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 da. da you know, mayhem, explosions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then joined at the end, and we go, ah this is what we want to do in stories we want to make the reader feel something when they feel something they have really the verisimilitude of real experience the verisimilitude of real life experience and this is how we actually shape and persuade them by you know creating this form and having information in there that we think is important for them. They feel like they're just learning it as if they're learning about life itself. But actually what we're doing, of course, and this is where, Ram, we were talking about the initial bias, our greatest work is in what we frame as the story. We frame the story, but then we should, I believe, we should not try to control it with our bias. Like, oh, this is the story I'm framing, but this is the right side and this is the wrong side, and therefore I'm just going to
3: mm.
0: okay. make it go like that. We are excited because of our worldview. We're like, this is something that I want to take on. This is a project that's important to me. So we decide to frame this, and now we have to act. If we want to do something for ourselves, We and I think we do, we want to... Uh, Try to act as a witness and this is this is really I think Fundamentally important to our work because it's not just important for the work that we end up producing But it's also important for how this work that we do reflects back on us Right if you come into a story and you have a belief system. This is right. and This is the wrong thing, right? And now I'm going to write a story in (laughs) which You know right you beat that up you had this belief at the beginning And you had this belief at the end. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: You have not grown at all through the process of engaging in a life experience, which writing is a life experience. Mm -hmm. We as individuals, as artists, I believe, and all human beings. So this is not just for us. All human beings actually, this is my contention, want to grow. They do not want to and this is if we're talking about art versus propaganda they do not want to be put more and more into a box of smaller beliefs they want to have larger beliefs they want to expand for them um so that's uh that's the main that's the main thing that um I, I read your work and I'm reading some other work now too for, um, for Indic and all the work that I've read, you know, probably in my entire life and also in relationship to my own work. Being able to actually do this real thing, creating a conflict that is real in the beginning, framing a conflict, and then actually being able to represent that conflict as a conflict of two equal forces, not unequal forces. This is the, you know, not not this this force is the right force, and you know what? In the end, it's going to beat the hell out of the wrong force, and at the end, it's going to still be the right force. No, that's not that's not a true conflict. Because, uh, I uh, I'm going to share a screen in a second, but the two most significant questions we're going to ask of our work are this the first one is what is the conflict right conflict i'm going to just say i'm i'm a very simple person (laughs) my daughters will say not so bright a conflict requires two things there's no conflict of one thing okay there's no conflict in fact if this If this side is so right and this side is so wrong, that's not a conflict. This side's right. It's only one thing. Conflict has to be two things, and they have to be equal. Because the most significant thing that we we want our reader to feel and think as they open up our work is what is going to happen. That is, the, that is the force, very simple force. I'm trying to bring everyone down from their intellectual heights from way up here down to the ground. Okay, forget this. Talking heads, you know, um, if you've read Jonathan, Jonathan Swift, whatever, the ones that float above everything. No, I want to bring you down here to the ground. Um, what is going to happen between these two things? Why is the reader turning the pages? You know, And they do, yes, they wonder who's going to win. But we have to really wonder that. Who's going to win? That's why they have to be equal, right? I joked that, uh, I don't know if you remember Dick Cheney. He was a politician in the US. But I sometimes joked that no one would pay to see Mike Tyson fight Dick Cheney, right? Of course, for me, that's not true. I would actually pay to see that. <laughs> um, but, but you don't know what, you don't wonder what's gonna happen if it's Mike, if they're boxing, okay? If they were playing politics, it also wouldn't be a contest, right? So depending on what the form is, right? But if it's a boxing match, right? I know Mike Tyson's going to win. I don't wonder what's going to happen. I don't care to watch, right? So <clears throat> this is going back to that, you know, what I think is a really fundamental thing. So what, and, and what we do as writers, I think is we, the first thing we do is yes, we're excited through something about us, our, our viewpoint, who we are, to decide that this is what we want to frame. But now what we're really doing is creating a catalyst, not to be too complicated about it, but the story is a catalyst for discovery. Where we put these two things against each other and we as the writer find out what's going to happen. If we're not honest about that, if we have not engaged in that process honestly, I think that that shows up in our work. And then, when we're not engaged in that honestly, then, from my point of view, we are producing not art but propaganda. And I, I will tell you that this idea of mine <laughs> is. Is a very harsh taskmaster, even for me, of course. I don't like it any more than anyone else does. Believe me. It's not like, oh, I think secretly that I have all the right ideas, and this is another way for me to propagate those. No, I have to apply this to myself, too, about everything I think. Right? So it, it's, it's hard. I don't like it. The people who I think are evil and my enemies I want to treat as evil and enemies but I can't and and consider myself an artist um, okay so this question what is what's going to happen as simple as it is is a driving force for our work we have to we have to first wonder what's going to happen like i say if we already know what's going to happen in our story if it's inevitable i i would argue we don't need to write it that's just for me that's typing that's typing that's not storytelling if we are wondering what's going to happen because we've actually drawn together two equal forces not our our absolutely right argument and a straw man, not our um, protagonist who is all good and virtuous and wonderful and our antagonist who is an evil monster. right? If we are really asking ourselves that question, then the reader will really be asking that question. If we're not really asking that question, then I think that our reader we'll know that we're not really asking that question. Then I think we could very easily have readership, but in the US the idiom is that we're preaching to the choir. People who already believe that this is right and this is wrong, well, okay, great. And now I have someone who's confirming that for me. That's that's again on the side of propaganda. They're being reconfirmed in their views and their and their viewpoint is becoming more In fact, more, um, more imprisoning, right? They're just getting more and more of the same view. They're becoming more imprisoned in that view. I don't believe that that's what people finally, so this is my, my bias. I don't think that that's what people finally want. I think they want to be expanded. So we need to, we're really trying to communicate, as I've said before, with people who don't hold our personal view. And the way we do that is we look at a story as a witness as objectively as we can. We are going to fail in this, but it's an aspiration for us, right? Right. We're human, right? We're human, we're fallible, we have a point of view. We will fail in this aspiration, but we try. best that is artistic integrity from my point of view and we can't ask more from ourselves but we have to really push ourselves and this is this is the big struggle of our work for us personally and what makes writing hard Um, so put it on your put it on your computer screen What's going to happen? <laughs> this is, and your ability—I—I—I've said this to many of my classes. Your ability as a writer are, is going to be determined by your ability to uh, be in a state of doubt about what is going to occur. We do not like that. This, as human beings, we do. This is uh, Keats's negative capability. To be able to hold two contradictory truths that's a little bit what we're trying to do the protagonistic force and the antagonist force are are contradictory points of view and we have to somehow suspend judgment on them and say perhaps they're both right there isn't a right and wrong there's two rights um what is going to happen number two why do i care that's the second biggest question of our work for us we can say okay again this goes just like the work is a discovery process people will say a story is a discovery process or as i say it's a catalyst the discovery process It's it's first a discovery process and it should be a discovery process for us. Second, as an artifact, it's really the story, the produced story is an artifact of our discovery process. The reader gets to participate in that without doing the hard work of it. And so that they have a discovery too. The second question is. Why do I care? And, Ram, this is getting back to what we were talking about in the beginning, this bias, right? Our own worldview. What is it? Why? Why did we frame this thing? What's the biggest issue in that? Why did we grab onto that as our subject? Why are we giving over our precious life, which it is precious, right? To look at this frame, why is it important to us? That is going to be translated then, too, if we thoroughly really examine that. Then that is also the thing that's going to make, make the reader care about it. So that's what I'm saying. There's the first level of what's going to happen. We wonder about it as artists. The reader and audience will wonder about it. They turn the page to find out what's going to happen. It's the same reason that we're writing it. We're writing it to find out what's going to happen. Not to you know, beat a dead horse, as they say, but if we already know what's gonna happen, then there's no reason for us to write it, right? We write it to find out, right? And the reader reads to find out. We have to also discover why we care about this conflict, this framed conflict. And then the reader was also gonna be, they're going to be illumined by that also personally. So we actually, you see what we're saying, for, on one hand, we're saying that the artist, the writer, and the reader, and the audience are the same. This is also very important.
1: That's Can you repeat that? Sure. Could you repeat that?
0: Yeah, that the, that the writer and the reader are the same. Wow. They want the same things. And they respond to the same thing. This is another thing that's going to be difficult and uncomfortable. It certainly is for me who spent a lifetime, you know, seeking out an education and feeling like maybe I've arrived someplace where I can tell people stuff. We don't get to tell people stuff because we think that we're smarter than them everybody, this is a, it's, a very, it's a very difficult uh, awakening to realize that everyone thinks that they're the smartest person, right? Uh, and they think that you're wrong. I, I, I can, you know, I'm telling you, I can go down the street right now and find someone that I can say, hey, I have a PhD and I have an MFA and I went to Stanford and, and they're still gonna just slap me down and say, you're an idiot. So no one, no one thinks, That no one no one here thinks that other people are better than them. Everyone thinks of themselves as equal. So we don't get to come down and say, again, it doesn't but it also doesn't work. This is not what we're doing. We're not we don't get to say, I know what's right and let me tell you what's right. We're if we're gonna be artists and writers that are gonna write something that really elevate, we do it with this other process where we actually engage in a discovery process that's honest and then we basically reproduce that in the work, right? And so that the reader engages in a discovery process that's honest. And that they that we care about it. We're not doing it I mean I, I this gets into some some big stuff for me. We're not doing it for money. We're not mercenaries who are working for somebody. We're doing it because we are human beings who want to have an expansive experience of life. And we want to discover. Our, it's our natural curiosity. Why does this matter to me? These two things, these two ideas that I've talked about in, in, in general are bring us to two questions that you can ask at the beginning of your work okay so the two let me tell you what the two questions are the two questions are what is the external conflict the second question is what is the internal conflict these are simple really simple things that in the movie business they just have they have sheets that have these questions on them. and you have basically uh, let's face it not not too bright you know script writers who are (laughs) investigating these issues and writing really dumb movies that millions of people are watching they don't answer them they don't look at those questions very profoundly but they do look at those issues and then they present them and that's what the audience finally attaches to the external conflict is what is the exterior goal that a character or whatever is trying to achieve. We had a movie in the United States that I that I often cite. Kumar Wants a White Castle Hamburger was the name of the movie. I did not see this movie. Okay. I I I think it probably had to it, it probably involves some drug use and munchies. But it had something, but I also understand why it was made with the movie uh, made into a movie, which means that someone wrote a script and presented it to people, and those people parted with their money in order to make it. That's not a small thing. Most of us are not going to anyone and asking them for money for our idea. But there's a tangible goal, White Castle Hamburger. A tangible goal. The reason why a tangible goal is so important is because then the audience knows whether they get it or not. Does
1: that make sense?
0: So now we're tangible goal means what is going to happen. Tangible goal. For movie makers, that's the number one thing they want to see in a movie, that there is a tangible goal. This is why, like, uh, bank robbery movies are so popular. They want money. It doesn't matter whether the thing that they want is silly, a White Castle hamburger, money, whatever, a new pair of shoes. It doesn't really matter, so long as it's tangible, because it inspires this question, do they get it or not? I'm going to say something important. Throughout the course of the story, they don't get it. internal conflict is, so the external conflict is what does the character want, the internal conflict is what do they need. So, So my my some of my big advice, the advice that I try to take on myself, it took me such a long time to even learn this because I was, uh, you know, I was essentially an intellectual. I was an egomaniac. I thought I was so smart, and uh, you know, I thought that I had a lot of right things to tell everyone, <laughs> and and uh, you know, I was going to receive a lot of accolades for that. And uh, you know, I discovered that that was kind of uh, wrong. Um, you know, I've discovered that we we really, we have to do, we have to remember that we're writing, we're not writing this cerebral stuff. We're writing for the human animal. And we are human animals. We have to get the reader, the, our audience involved, and we get them involved by offering a conflict, and they're wondering what's going to happen, right? Maybe it's life and death. It's always life and death in a way. It's always, in a sense, symbolic of life and death. And we have to get them to care that they're actually gonna work out some problem that they have through this process of the story and discover something about themselves through the process. But the main thing is, we better just go ahead and do this right away. My my. My work with you is not I'm not going to tell you something that you're not going to discover through the struggle of writing. I'm telling you, you're, you can you can have a career like mine where you're writing and struggling to write, you know, here I'm right and you're wrong. And you're going to not get published. You're not going to get published. You're not going to get published. You're not going to get published. Right. And you're going to keep working it out and trying to figure it out. Yes. Or I can maybe try and save you a little time. Because I'm going to tell you that the person who wrote Kumar Gets a White Castle Hamburger went for it, right? He went for it. He wrote, he wrote this character wants a goddamn White Castle hamburger. So you can, you can as writers, you can him and ha and go like, oh, I don't want to write conflict. I don't want to do these things, etc., etc. That's fine. You can. I'm not saying you have to. But if you want to save some time in terms of actually grabbing an audience, and making them have a visceral experience in their body, you will pay attention to these things. There are other writers who do it. And you're not, you're not in competition with me, or you know, you're not in competition with each other. You're in competition with these other writers who are taking the space right now, right? And you want to take the space. If you want to take the space, why waste time? what works at least experiment with it but i will tell you it's not easy it's not easy it's not easy partially because human beings shy away from conflict we also shy away from discovery we have this um we have a tendency towards avoidance (laughs) Uh, I look up and this guy, I know he wasn't looking up because I said that, I was like, avoidance. <laughs> but, but we have to recognize this about ourselves. I know I do, right? We, we sometimes fight, but we also, we only do that if we can't flee. So we always flee first, you know? So we have a tendency towards avoidance as, as the human animal. As the writer, we have to sustain non-avoidance. Does that make sense? We have to stick with the struggle, whatever it is that we're presenting. And we have to be OK in that place of doubt and indecision as to what is going to happen. That's our greatest skill and the thing that we really work on. And it is a, it is a life struggle, honestly. It's a life struggle. Um, I want to share screen. <clears throat> That's sort of like a big preamble. Um, but then I want to if we can let's see. Okay. Wait, what happened there? Stopped okay. I think I shared the wrong screen. Sorry. Um do you you see my screen? Okay. Uh these were just a couple notes that, that I wrote, and then you could you could look at these. Um what what will happen? Why do I care? Those are the two biggest questions. Um what will happen is basically driven by the external conflict. Will will Kumar get a White Castle hamburger or not? Um the internal conflict is: What does that White Castle hamburger mean? Right? There's some more complex things to look at in terms of stories, but we're really just talking about getting getting the thing on the page to start with. There are some issues about um, there's this idea of, called chiasmus um, about how a story kind of arcs from the external conflict, which is most significant, to the internal conflict which ends up being the most significant. But that's, a, that's maybe an issue for another day. When you think about the conflict, it is great to actually isolate as tangibly as possible the two forces, right? If it's a conflict, there's two forces, A and B, and to actually identify what they are. And I will say This is, again, going to be difficult. The more physical they are, the better. Remember, the physical reader is the one we're trying to get to. We, as, as a reader, I identify with a physical character better and more closely than an abstraction. I don't really identify with a belief system, for example but i i identify with a you know um, the boy walked down to the river with his fishing pole he put a worm on the hook and threw it in i identify with that boy The physical person so the more physical it can be the better the same with the antagonistic force <laughs> i can't go on about this stuff but, you know too long so uh, you know we We have time. We have time. So, but identify the A and the B as best you can, and then why do I care what is the internal conflict? What is the thing of great significance, of really life significance that's going to be worked out through this story? You know, I often think about Bonnie and Clyde, and think about Bonnie as the principal character. Um, She went off and robbed banks. But why was she robbing banks? right? Why did Kumar want the White Castle hamburger? What was it that he gets out of that or hoping to get? And then when he gets the White Castle hamburger, what has he realized that he failed to get? Right? This is the big question. What did Bonnie, Bonnie wanted that money, but at a certain point she had all the money. Why did she have to go rob another bank? So what was she really looking for? Um, Okay, great, well, let's, uh, I don't know who all is here, uh, so maybe, um...
2: so Otis, I had a question here, you know, when you're talking about uh, the protagonist and the antagonist, uh, uh, how do you determine, you know, or or how do you balance uh, the... The, the conflict between the two, the protagonist and the antagonist uh, on the one hand, and how do you find a way to keep the story moving? Because uh, at the end of the day, if the reader, I as a, as the reader do not sense the story is moving towards some kind of a resolution or a climax, then the the conflict ends up becoming an end in itself rather than a means of advancing the story.
0: Um, I just, I kind of, I have just sort of simple ways. So the story should always be escalating, right? So otherwise otherwise we actually have something that's just static. So we need to have escalation. The way I think of escalation is that you actually represent the protagonistic side, you kind of alternate. If you're writing an argument or an essay or something like that, you have the protagonistic side, you have the antagonistic side, and you continue. The way you usually do it in narrative is you have the protagonist meeting an antagonistic force. And then from that, they are affected by the event of that meeting. So I think about it as little chunks, basically. A scene would be a protagonist comes in feeling hopeful, right? Kumar. (laughs) pick on Kumar some more. Kumar comes in to the White Castle hamburger place, right? I'm sure that this scene happened. He's like, he's finally going to be able to get his uh, White Castle hamburger. And he goes up and he runs up, finally, you know, he's gone through all this struggle. And he says, I'm going to have 12 White Castle hamburgers. And the person says, Sorry, we're closed. Right? This is a, yeah. actually a perfect example of how it works. So he's struggled, he's come, and we know he's got a flat tire, he's done this, that, and the other thing, he gets stopped by cops, etc. And he finally gets there. Sorry, we're closed. And then he comes out. So he was happy that he, first, he he comes in in a certain state happy. It's closed. He's dejected, right? So he's changed his state. But has his drive to get the hamburger ceased? No. Does he think that, does he think that the hamburger is going to still fulfill him and fulfill his needs? Yes. So he doubles down. So he has a strategy. He thinks that he's going to achieve fulfillment by getting the hamburger, right? He struggles to get the hamburger. He's elated that he's finally succeeded, and he learns from the forces of antagonism, which is the entire world, really, but identified in this one person at the counter who says we're closed. He begs, please. I've done all these things. I've traveled all this way. Please give me the hamburger. The woman says, sorry, I can't. I'll lose my job. Right? The hamburgers are sitting there right behind him. Right? They're right there. He's like, please just hand me one. I can't. Right? It's just, I love it. Um, but then, so meets the force of antagonism. And he's like, okay, my God, but, but now he's going to be destroyed. He's gonna be destroyed if he can't get the hamburger. But she says the White Castle across town is open until twelve. Okay. (laughs) Now the character goes Mm. again, right? Um, so like, okay, so this is an example that I sometimes give. Like, I can tell you, I'll tell you the story. The other day, I lost my wallet. I thought I left it at the restaurant, and I went there, and they gave it to me. That's not a story. Right. The other day, I lost uh, the other day. I lost my wallet. Uh, I thought I'd left it at the restaurant. I got there. I asked the maitre d if they had my wallet. They said, um, well, we did have it, but we actually just gave it to that guy. He goes, right. So now a story is about your expectations not being fulfilled. And we stick with that along the line and it gets worse and worse. So the Trajectory of story goes this way. In terms of that, uh, in terms of the external struggle, it becomes more difficult. The one of the great examples of this form, and that's been written about. And I'm not sure if I have. Um, I don't think I don't have Field's book right now, but he treats it quite a lot in the movies. But uh, the American movie Chinatown Hmm. shows this. So if you want to see an example of this, an obvious example, you have um, you have Jack Bitt as the detective. He starts out here. He's dressed in a white suit. He's slick. He's sharp. Right. He has an expensive whiskey, but he gives the less expensive whiskey to the guy who's just found out his wife is cheating on him. Watch. Just watch. Way he he can deal with everything, right? He's slick, you know. Bah, you know he's Jack Nicholson. In walks the dame, right? Throws everything. So there's the antagonistic force. In walks the dame. Jack Bittus doesn't care about anything. In walks the dame, the person he's going to care about. That's the antagonistic force. Now you watch Jack Bittis, and he <laughs> if you remember that movie, he gets beat up. He gets his nose sliced open. He's like, look at him at the end. He's got a thing on his face. He's got, you know, and he, and the one thing he wants, this guy here, right? The guy who's all slick. The reason he's slick is because he's trying to get away from Chinatown. Where does he go? Chinatown. Right? So he's, Right, because something happened in Chinatown, he wants to, you know, ah, nothing bothers me, nothing matters to me, emotional, you know, whatever it is. I'm, I'm this way, I, I can deal with everything, slick, slack, fluke, you know. But then, where does he have to go? That is classic storytelling. Right, classic storytelling. The story has two, two forms, I think shapes it moves it moves here right it goes down but it also has this chiasmus right so so the external struggle is going like this and i often say that this is moving into the valley of death where we truly have to meet the the dark day of the soul where we have to finally grapple with something that's where where all our vanities and illusions have been burned away our 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 the, the illusion that we can have control over life. the illusion that Kumar can find fulfillment by getting a hamburger. the illusion that Jack Bittes can escape Chinatown. right? Mm. That's human vanity. So we meet in the valley of death the our own we recognize our own vanity. And then the question is, and this is the, what a story should always do, I believe, Is that once we've arrived there then the character really has a choice this is why stories are about the human spirit when everything is gone then what do they do right kumar go back to kumar (laughs) kumar thinks that he can control his destiny and find fulfillment by getting a white castle hamburger right all along the way. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And just like Jack Pitt is, he probably gets his nose cut. He probably gets beat up. He gets, you know, humiliated. You know, everything, horrible things happen to him. And then there's a certain point where he realizes he's never going to get that. He's never going to get what he seeks. Now, what does he do? I think that's a hell of a story that to me, I mean, it, it is, you know, some say it's, it's the universal story. There are not a bunch of different stories. And some people will be like, well, there's seven kinds of stories. I think there's one kind of story. There's one kind of story that takes the, the character, Ram and I were talking about this already, who, who has an ego and feels like they're going to control their destiny. And, fi- and shape their own existence. And then they recognize that that's not ever gonna be possible. And then what? I have goosebumps. I will read that story every single day because it's relevant to my existence. It mirrors my existence. I also struggle to control my life and destiny. And I'm also faced with the antagonistic force that that is never going to be possible. The universal story. I don't get tired of it. I mean, none of us do. So then when we understand that that's the universal story then it's just a question of what is the duration what is the focus of our version of it and and then really the next the next question is really how well can we do it right and i and i don't mean like i don't mean being smart how well can we do it by being a witness to the reality that this is what's going on in our lives, you know, in, a, in the universal sense. We might pick the instance, we might, it might be White Castle Hamburger, it might be, I think, uh, I think it's Faye Dunaway in, uh, in Chinatown. It might be Faye Dunaway, you know, it might be, you know, whatever the illusion that the, that the character has, it doesn't really matter. We pick that, right? We frame that. But we speak to this larger, this larger, what the human struggle. The other thing that uh, I think is so great is that this idea of an external struggle and an internal struggle also represents the human struggle. Because each of us know that we strive and want something. We strive and want something and we seek this, whatever it is going to be, peace, fulfillment, you know, things that are probably not going to be here. We're going to go to a cave, you know, in Tibet, or we're going to get a, get a hamburger, whatever it is that we're going to do. Um, and we have this internal struggle, right? We have this interiority, so we have this sense of self and we have this sense of outside world. This is another universal issue for us. Um, I wanted, um, I know, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, your, your tag just says twenty twenty-one 21 bam, Bamboo. And I, I know you wrote your name, but I, I need to jot that down. But anyway, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, you, you, you brought a poem in the other day and I thought maybe we, you could just talk a little bit about it because I think that you. What I like about what you're doing with your work, you're you're obviously, you're a professional. And so you're writing a play and you're grappling with the issues of the character on the stage. And you came up, I'm gonna have everyone read a little bit of their piece. Hopefully we can get to enough of it. I don't wanna keep you up too late. I know it's late where you are. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you saw these as story problems in your play, why you isolated these. Uh,
5: Okay. uh... So after I would written the story, I realized that some characters had become more uh, important, and they they had taken bigger leap than what uh, I had intended them to. And as I I don't know, at times I think maybe when we are working as an author, we try to make a garden, but it becomes a forest. It just grows deeper and I'll deeper yeah (laughs) so I am like deep in this forest and uh, there are uh, people who are like calling me and I feel that it's also my own internal problem that because the father I did not make the father grow because I have somewhere uh, modeled him on my own father and uh, in my mind my father has not grown and that is why this character and I realize now through my internal journey that that's the conflict that's the problem with the story and I'm standing in the way of the story and oh. i out and uh, so it's not going to be easy that, that's what I think yeah and that's why I've and of course I have I plot drafts like
3: uh,
5: you know Robert McKee and all those uh, is advised and I've also cut what? out the story I, I had worked out two stories which were running parallelly but I realized that the central plot uh, loses its force when I bring on the side story uh, the attention goes away and you know there's those the moments which are gripping up perhaps going away so maybe I need to merge the two stories somehow or involve the other characters in the central plot so I'm kind of yeah so so I, yeah
0: I was gonna say I, I really so to me I love the problems that you're having this is this is what we're doing it for you know like I mean, if, 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 forgive me if I'm interpreting wrongly or even interpreting, but, but like a little bit it sounds like you're saying that you, know, you had the father on the page. This is what I think we have to deal with when we're dealing with narrative. Characters are miracles. I keep saying that. That doesn't mean they're good. That doesn't mean they're good. It means that they're miracles. And if we can really get them on the page, we really have something. Human beings, we care so much about other human beings. We interact with other human beings. We might be really scared of a tiger, but we really don't see a tiger very much. The biggest animal that we see day to day are other human beings. Very, very important to us. If we can get those human beings on the page, we have a lot. A little bit what you seem to be saying is you put your dad on the, on the page in the play as you saw him. Yeah. But you're sort of realizing that actually you have to do something better than that. You have to actually put him on the page, not your vision of him on the page. And now we're dealing, this is, that is great. That is, I mean, it's, you're so right that it's so hard. And I'm totally with you about the, I actually have a project right now, the garden and the forest. Oh my God, I can't even d- deal with it. Um, but I think that this is a little bit where writing leads us because we keep having to push ourselves to, What's even truer than what I'm doing, and and your and and your father too, like that's you know when we talk about that arc where they they have nothing, then they have a choice. We have a kind of responsibility. I feel we we must bring our protagonist to that place where they're not actually just compelled by their own. They're not just compelled anymore. That's all gone. And then we, like I say. Sometimes we don't have to like our characters, but we have to love them, which means that we have to really witness them and put them on the page and understand their humanity. Their humanity, the humanity of my antagonist is not different than my humanity. Mm-hmm. So I have to grapple with that as a writer. Um, right. I think you're right that, the, you know, the, the father needs his chance. Right. And uh, and I also really loved what, what you said about Becoming involved with some maybe some side plots because you did not want to focus on that. Right. You know, the the character who's more important with you to, to you. And and this is this goes along with this thing that we do as writers, we avoid the conflict. Like we both we both are trying to look at it, but we also don't want to because we're human beings. It's hard to do it. So we, and I found this with everyone I've taught, and I found it in my own work continuously, that we have we we contain these two drives. We want to work this out, but we kind of want to work it out on our terms. And when it doesn't work out on our terms, then we want to turn away, uh, or or we want to resolve issues before they're really resolved. We don't want to take them to the full extent. But I think. It really sounds great. It sounds like you're dealing with, you know, the, the right things.
5: <laughs> so I had one question, which was like, I have this very bad habit of rewriting because I know when you submit uh, to an agent, you just have that one chance. So I try to make it uh, as sharp as I can, but in the process of rewriting, uh, you know, that enthusiasm begins to wane and you somehow just drift away from where you had started? Uh, I don't know how to deal with that.
0: Uh, um, I, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I mean, I think what, I think what we do in terms of our drafting process is often this, you know, like I'll often get a really great first draft. And, you know, it has a lot of passion in it. And then I start to rewrite and I basically mess it all up. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sort of re, you know, almost regain, you know, and it can take like 10 more drafts to regain the freshness of the first draft, but also have it have the exactitude. So that it feels like it actually just flew off your pen. I mean, and that's how it has to finally feel right. Um, That's, maybe maybe the way to say it is that there's there's that there's that passion that brings it brings us the first draft Mm -hmm. and then there's really a lot of careful application of our skill and our craft from that point onward and and that's that's its own thing you know sort of like you know sometimes i think of like our art is like you know we the first draft is like we've gone and we've grabbed the clay and we've thrown it on the table. That's awesome. Now we have some clay on the table to work with, but the work is much different. And, you know, the, the grabbing of the clay is much different than now sculpting it, you know, whatever we're going to do with it afterwards. Um, okay. it's, it's, it's very hard.
5: Right. That, that's uh, what I'm dealing with. <laughs> Just a few hard things.
0: Yeah. But I also, I really, I really admire your problem. And one, one way to think about it and to think about your characters is, is sort of like what I said before, you know, the beginning of like, you know, we just all, we all approach our work with this, you know, with this ego, you know, we know, you know, it's our experience and we know what's right and what's wrong. We know who's good and who's bad, et cetera, et cetera. But when we start to realize, and then we, and, and, and we also think of, well, that's something that we're going to finally just give the reader. But if, the more we start getting into character and realizing that we're all this we're these human beings and we're all just as passionate and and, and we're all actually dealing with even that same struggle, feeling that we're right, et cetera, et cetera. And I think about the, the father character who I love in this story, um, and and who has the most challenge because he's the most uh, recalcitrant, you know, probably. He's the he's the one who's, you know, you know, going back to the, the propaganda, he's put the same story on himself over and over again about what he's supposed to do and what's supposed to happen and what his role is, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and and the order of all things. And that's being challenged, right? But I think of that scene where he takes he takes a pot, right, in, in the story now and he throws it and he breaks it. So when that occurred, when I read that in the in the play at first, right, my It's just it's almost just like um, comedy. Right. You know, it's almost just like a farce. Right. But the place to go and you don't have to do all of it. Right. Because you're writing a play. I mean, you have to be able to know it, but you have and you have to be able to put the words and the actions on the on the on the page so that the actor can truly embody it. Right. The actor's going to say, What's motivating me to do this, right? You know, that cliche, the cliche actor talk. It's very important for all of our work. You know, the, the actor takes some of the responsibility for that and they really try to seek it out. But we as writers have to do all that work for all of our characters. Why are all of our characters motivated? And when we bring it to that and we realize that he threw that vase out of a tremendous motivation, it isn't just that he's a jerk. It's that he doesn't know what else to do. Right. Look at how difficult it must be for him to find that that's the only recourse in order to have control over a life that he's losing control over. Right. When we look at it that way, we see the humanity of that character. We don't see a cliche of a, you know, a pot-breaking father. Right. And there's almost no difference, right? You know, as the as the as the as the artist, as the writer of that, you know, there might be almost no difference between those two, but you know that character, right? You see them as a human being who's engaged in a struggle. You don't see them as a caricature, right? Um, and that is a really this that i i I'm too excited to even almost talk about it. This is the work that we start to do when we can start to see we as writers not just seeing one you know let's say we have a central character, you know whichever character you most identify with. we only see that character when we're the writer, we actually have to be able to see every character. We have to know the humanity behind every character when we're writing when we're writing this argument, our, if we're writing our uh, thesis-driven argument, we have to understand our point of view, but we actually have to understand their point of view. As the writer, we have to. Our characters don't. Our characters are in a myopic shell and they have their biases, but the writer doesn't. Hmm. And and that, that this is, this is the transition. I mean, it's a life work. It is a life work, believe me. I, I, but this is the transition that I, that I have with so many students that I teach. It's is really this psychic one of, of being able to be two places at once, to be able to be here and to be able to be and understand the characters themselves fully, not, not as a cardboard cutout. And then to be able to do that with all the characters, be able to do both of those things, that's the, that's the skill of the writer. Right. It's, uh, I think that sounds, it sounds like the work is really doing well. You know? Um, I think you're still discovering it a little bit. Yeah. You know, so that's what, that that's what, so you're not really at that rewriting, you're not even at that rewriting period. You're actually still in the discovery period.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll start it when I know my answers, when I know where the characters. Um, I'm beginning to understand that the father will be the lead character because he's so forceful and uh, he's the one who has uh, the most compelling problem.
0: So, And the most to lose.
5: Yes, and most to lose, right. So, yeah, so that's what I'm planning to do, but I'm going to give it time and I want to do it more organically rather than just rush into it.
0: Um, Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that conversation about it. And I, I mean, I wouldn't have realized that at first, but I think it really is true. He has the most to lose because so when you look at this, when you look at all your illusions being burned away, you go into the valley of death, right? The dark day of the soul look at all the illusions. The father is how old, you know, in just whatever amount of years, you know, 60 years, etc. cetera, right? He has 60 years of illusion to lose. I mean, this is... For, you, you know, I just think, I mean, it's obviously the daughter's story. But for the daughter to be able to realize that, that would be a tremendous insight about life, you know? I mean, because... Because when we're younger, we don't realize that, right? About people who are older. We only see them as, you know, this authoritarian, you know, but to be able to realize they have so much to lose. Ah, it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful.
5: Oh, okay, thanks. That that helps me go on. And one more problem that I face is, again, my own problem, which is that I'm very, uh, I have this something which was uh, wit, right, so Neil Simon kind of thing, so all the characters start getting witty, uh, and then I fear maybe they'll sound the same, so... Yeah.
0: That, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that can be a
5: thing, you know, uh, because the whole point of a joke is to build on it, you know, one... It has to go, as you say, with antagonists and protagonists, even with a joke, A says something and the B says something which is wittier, and then, then the A comes up with something which is, takes it, spins it off to another dimension. Uh, so...
0: Uh, yeah, well, I think that, I think, you know, the... I think there's a truth in life that people, you know, you're, you're doing plays, which are, it's actually really helpful because it makes it more obvious. We're, you know, anyone who's writing narrative is doing the same thing. We have characters that, that are both human beings, but they're also human beings who fulfill roles. You'll notice this when you have a cast of characters, as we do in any narrative work, as we do in movies, as we do anywhere, the, the more important thing than having them all be witty there's a danger in having characters sounding the same. What we want actually is we want to have different voices because it's through different voices and contrast that we're actually able to experience something. That's fundamental to my, my, my feeling about all our stories. We're always developing contrasts. And I point this out to my daughters. They get so annoyed by me commenting on stuff, but I just will say, notice how this person has a unique voice. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, this is part of our responsibility. We actually, whether we feel that it's true to life or not, we still have to do it, right? It's one of my arguments to like, you know, some. sometimes I have this argument, I'm like, well, this character is kind of a stereotype. And they're like, well, you know, people are stereotypes. And that, you know, I, I don't believe that. I don't think anyone is a stereotype to themselves. You know, they're a human being. They don't see themselves as a stereotype. To you, they're a stereotype. So, you know, <laughs> but, but like, you, you don't want to have a stereotype because it's not good writing. So whether it's true to life or not, I don't even have to argue. It's not good writing because the reader, the audience, is not going to respond to that. In the same way, you, you would not want to have an, uh, an orchestra that was all flutes. Right. Right. You know, all, all flutes playing the same note. You want to have different instruments that have different voices that have an interplay. And that creates dynamics, right? So, I think you just, and, and you know, the classic comedy, of course, has a straight man, right? They have the, you know, the 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 buffoon and the and the straight man, uh, you know, the person who basically gets the joke, like the audience, and the person who doesn't. Um, right. So. That's uh that's something to think about. And, and then really do, I, I do think about the roles in order to understand characters, particularly from certain perspectives. Like I definitely think a lot about roles people have with each other. It doesn't mean, so like for the daughter, right? The father is an authority figure. That's a role that he plays in her life to her. But that doesn't mean he's an authority figure in his own life. Right. And we have these, and we have these sort of interesting mixes too, right? We have lovers and rivals who are kind of on the same plane. We have, um, we have authority figures who are above here, and we have, you know, people who are subordinate and we're responsible for. But none of those people feel that they are the role that gets attributed to them. They're living their life as human beings with all the same roles. The father has his authority figures and his rivals and his lovers, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, everyone's single life is complete, but we, we have these constellations, you know, these kinds of different kinds of gravity. And then, of course, our characters are often very complicated. The father might actually feel he's a rival to the daughter. And in fact, that's true, too. So there's a perception of the role. And then there's a reality of human beings interacting with each other. Right. Um, well, that's great. I love these questions. I love that you look at the problems and you investigate those. And I put a star, of course, by what does Simran want? Right. You know, this is, this is one of the hardest questions I have found when I, when I push back at people about their work. What does the character want? Because we so often want to act as if we don't want anything.
3: Right. <laughs>
0: um and we're even taught you know going back to the sort of the familial relationships we are taught often i don't know you know in the indian family maybe it's different but in the american family you know when i was a kid and i wanted something i was told that that was a bad thing i was not supposed to want stuff because that was pretty inconvenient so i suppressed the idea that i wanted stuff and had to try to figure out other ways to get it right but i still wanted things
5: we have um, problems here one is, is what Simran wants is unstated it, it is understated because what she wants is what she doesn't admit uh is that she wants love and that that's her tragic flaw that she wants love but she's not chasing it because of her uh feminist ideas or something that has happened in the past and uh, I we have a fly on the wall uh POV so we can never really know or if I make her say what she wants, it becomes a talking head scene. So I don't want those talking head scenes uh, and a fly on the wall POV. So yes, yeah. so those are the problems I'm grappling with. Bill.
0: Right. Well, okay. So this is this is again important for all of us. So when we when we're considering what a character wants, just always remember that white castle hamburger. Okay, just what can we make that's tangible that she's that we can show her trying to get you know and when you say love love is a love is a big catch-all term for me i think it's i don't think there's some idealized love it's a big catch-all it's uh security it's to be known it's to be witnessed romantic love is what
5: i'm right
0: well well right so i mean Again, you know, it's like it's a little bit, what does that, what does that mean too? You know, what does that finally mean? Romantic love doesn't mean just, you know, sex, right? It means some kind of, uh, it means a union. And and, and in a way it, it can be like, it can be sort of um, understood as a home, you know, as a as a place, as a sanctuary. I don't know. There's a lot of different ideas. Like, yeah,
5: like, more of an intellectual union because she's more in the head. And uh, when you go through this setup of arranged marriage, and the way her father looks at marriage is very different. It's more of a, uh, you know, permutation combination where uh, two people can be fitted together and just married off.
0: Yeah. So, well, I, I I go back to this. So when I say, like I say, we don't have to like our characters, but we have to love them. So I think about love in this way that it's love is a witness, and I think that we want to be known. And that this is something I find in my life. You know, I one of the reasons I write is I want, I want to be seen. Um, but I feel the struggle, you know, of, you know, wanting to be seen on my terms versus wanting to be seen in, in a kind of, you know, in mutual terms. Um, I just bring it up because, because I could see the daughter's, even the daughter's relationship with the father, the daughter's relate, our relationships with everyone express our desire to be loved. Right. You know, so, so I just bring that up, and, and I and I think that I think that we can see it without her talking, heading it because because finally I go back to this: love is a is an abstraction, okay. But there's something physical. There's something physical that we want, right, to be recognized by the person who's right next to us. You know, a physical thing. Anyway, I don't want uh, a lot to a lot to think about, but I think you're on the right track. It's so awesome, right thank you um, yeah, uh let's see that's that one. let me I don't know who all is here let's see rhapsody is it is it who who wrote Rhapsody that's me that's me Srela. uh Cy oh great can you yeah. can you read a little section of this for us oh okay. Um, uh. I'm just worried, am I keeping you up so late? Because I, I go to bed early. So I, I worry about you all. I go to bed like 10 o'clock.
3: Should so I read okay? aloud?
0: Do you want to read a part of okay. it, yeah. uh, okay. an introduction? Yeah I, to, yeah, I just want to, if you could read uh, this section here. I, actually, do you mind? Uh, I'm just going to shorten it up a little bit. Um, just from there, you see Sunday finally arrived and then just to where I have this black mark here. Do you see that?
3: Okay, uh, this yeah. yeah, yeah. Sunday finally arrived. After an early breakfast, Nitu and Ria boarded an auto and went to Navarul, home of the dis- disabled. They signed the visitor's register and then Nitu guided Ria to Abha's room. As they entered, they saw Abha looking outside the window. Neetu went forward and took Abha's hand in her and asked, How are you feeling? Did you have your breakfast? To which Abha just nodded silent and glassy. Neetu asked. Did,
0: uh, Sir, you, I, think, I've lost I
2: think we have audio. lost audio
3: Thank you again asked So what are you thinking Abha Abha replied her eyes watering up Again Sometimes I think of my parents I love them so much Please take me to my parents I don't want to stay here at all Neetu said We love you and promise to take care of you We are not your parents But I love you a lot that, that's why I, I come down so often and to see you. I will try to come here more regularly than I do, I promise. She kissed Abha's forehead and left the room slightly teary eyed. Ria followed her out.
0: Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I really like this section and in the interior of this story. Um, I have some big questions, as you know, about. Uh, the com- the combination of these various characters and one you know what is going to happen is a great question why do I care the other question no. that we can ask at the beginning of, at, at the beginning of our story is whose story is it
3: actually it was mostly Ria's story and uh, you know I wanted to keep it there but the point of view I had I wanted two to three characters so the point of view I also got confused in in while uh-huh. writing.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, it's, it's no problem. So like, this is what I believe, you know, I have these feelings like when, when we're a writer, again, going back to this idea, like, okay, we're a human being, we have a point of view, we have a worldview, and we end up framing something in a story. I have a great deal of faith in that. I believe in the, um, I believe in our intuition. And I think that the things that drive you to write Rhea's story to combine this story about, um, I think she's a youngish girl maybe in this, in this home um, yeah. or maybe maybe teenager or something like that. And then also the story of, then the other person, Rohit, um, her story. I think that there's something there for you, right? So I believe in your intuition. Now it's a question of, okay, we, we bring up the clay, we put it on the table. Now how do we form it? And how do we actually take this thing that we have an intuitive drive for and um, turn it into a discovery for us and a discovery for the reader? How do we turn this mass of clay into a thing that is shaped like a story, which is a catalyst for discovery? That's the question. And that's, that's, that's what we end up doing. That is our craft, basically. So we act on intuition. I, I grabbing these characters, and now I have this bunch of mud, you know, and clay on the table. And now I need to form it into this thing that takes place. This is very important. A story takes place over time, right? A story is not a static thing that means one thing. It's an experience in time and that is the thing that we create in a story we create an experience in time which feels like life so i totally trust you i had you read this section just particularly because it it speaks to this other fundamental thing that i want you to be aware of we as the human animal (laughs) forgive me that's a clunky phrase but we as the human animal we like to avoid trouble We like to resolve things and put them in a box, an intellectual box, an emotional box, so that we know how to file it away and it doesn't trouble us anymore. As writers, when we're writing our story, all we do is we keep operating with the forces of protagonism and antagonism in order to create a catalyst for discovery. We do not resolve anything. And this is just a small example. I love this whole section here, but this section here, she, this Rhea, Discovered a different side of Nitu, uh, behind this uh, stern face and monosyllabic replies, is a person with a heart of gold who chooses to remain away from attention. So this is just a little thing. I don't mean it too harshly, but don't write that part. Let the reader feel that part if we want to, and if we don't, we don't. But we try not to. Res- we try. Not Actually, to- my
3: in- when I was writing, my intention was. Uh, sorry.
4: Sorry. Go ahead. I'm just Um, I'm just making. making uh, Should Should
3: I say? Yeah. So when I was writing this story, it was one of the first stories I was planning for my book. So I was thinking if Ria could, she was herself trying to grapple with the city. She was a very overprotective child, and she was trying to help this girl out to realize her, her life. I mean, her confidence, lost confidence. And she was trying to find out a friend in her, like help her to regain her confidence, like a woman helping another other woman out. This was my idea when I was writing the story.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's all so, fine, it's all works. I'm just, talking about, I, I'm just really saying something very micro-oriented here about this idea of us as writers, okay. we, we, what we want to do is we want to just write a series of events, basically, the protagonist has an event with right. an antagonist, they come out. They have an event, with they, they, they go into the next event, they have a situation with the antagonistic force, they come out. It's, a, it's basically a series like that. We, right. don't need to, we don't need to deal with the meaning of things. We don't want to make pronouncements. We don't want to make pronouncements from the narrator's point of view about what things mean because that's the role okay. Of the reader. The reader comes to conclusions. The reader thinks things based on the events that we provide. So we want them to be engaged in what's going on. We do not want to tell them what to think. And so it's there's the one of the maxims in writing is this show, and we can write this down too show, don't tell. Okay? So, and actually, if you want to say that even better, you would say, don't tell, show. So I believe that here you basically are already showing this. But when you tell us, what happens is when the narrator, when the writer comes in and tells the reader things, that's as if, to me, the way I take it is like, what does the writer think I'm stupid? Does the writer think I can't determine things for myself based on these experiences? Why do they think I'm so dumb? I know that's not, I know that's just a chip on my shoulder because, you know, whatever, I have a chip on my shoulder. But I think it creates this distance between, remember the writer, remember I said the writer and the audience, they're the same. And we wanna create this merger between the two of them. We don't wanna have this place where we suddenly say, oh, I'm a writer and I'm gonna tell you what to think. You know, we just want to merge these two experiences so that we go together like this through the story. And then we come to the point of significance that we are on some degree leading, but we're also discovering. so that's a weird thing that we'll get to. But uh, I really like this story and I like these characters very much. And I like, um, so I, like this... I think they're in, are they in Mumbai? I... Is that right? Yeah, uh,
3: but I didn't get you. Again, again once oh, I was more? asking
0: if they, were, if they were in Mumbai. They are going, yeah,
3: they're going to bond at the end, yes.
0: Okay. Um, I, I love that environment, and I would really encourage you to get more of that environment on the page so, okay. that, we, so that the reader can see it. Not everyone knows what Mumbai looks like. I don't. Uh, I've never been there. And I'm just going to
3: tell you... Even I tried to imagine the thing out, you know, so in, like in, I found out the train stations nearby and stuff and tried to put yeah. put, put it accordingly. But, you know, I, actually I have a question from the point of view in the story. There are two, two people side by side. Whom do you think should I put uh, first? Because I thought them to put them in an equal, uh, equal status, actually. Rhea helping Nitu out. So I wanted to do like that. whom do you think should be the point of view here?
0: Well, so, so going back to the idea, like we, so what's the external conflict, you know, what's going to happen? What are the forces? That's the individual experience. Kumar wants a white castle hamburger. I don't want a white castle hamburger, but I want things and I tried to get them. So does Kumar. So it's a specific thing that he wants. The internal struggle, however, the desire for control over life, the desire for enlightenment, whatever it might be, love, uh, sanctuary, whatever those feelings, that's a universal thing. I, as a reader, need to identify, I I best identify with a single character in that. And um, the the way I try and figure out, so I I would not have dual characters myself just because it makes it harder. Because now I actually have to have I have to have the reader identify with Rhea, but then I have to have her then I have to have the then I have to take the reader from Rhea and then put her put the then the the reader into Netu you know and identify with Netu it's it's hard work and it also isn't really like life so what I really want to do is I want to merge the consciousness of the reader with one character the way I determine who that is is who who changes? Who goes on this journey? Who goes into the valley of death? And who comes out transformed? Okay. That's the person who's... Because that's the journey I want to take the reader on. And therefore, I want the, the protagonist to be the vehicle for the reader's experience of this journey. That's... If it's Rhea... Then yeah recently. I
3: thought of putting Ria first because I thought of putting a protagonist who's helping Nitu, and through her changing her life experience, I wanted to do that,
0: but it is coming out like two yeah. point of
3: views as uh
0: the, right but and the issue is you know now Nitu ends up having a relationship at the end, and I'm sort of like, am I supposed to care about that i you know. We, I think we do want to make our decisions. You okay. know, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to merge that, that reader with a, usually a character. You know, and unless you have some, you know, greater skills than I do, I would keep it simple. You know, let's <laughs> just merge them with this character. Um, you. you know, for now, for now. Um, there are, okay. you know, in, in genre fictions, things like that, people switch points of view a lot. And that's because in genre fiction, from okay. my point of view, genre fiction, the plot is more important than the characterization. Okay. In literary fiction, in literary fiction, the character arc is the main thing. So, okay. so character is more important in literary fiction and plot is generally more important in genre fiction.
3: Okay. But can you put a balance between these two and put it into one place? Is it possible? Or does that happen?
0: Um,
3: well... The plot and the character, like we mentioned in uh, these, these distinctions, can you put a balance and put it in one story?
0: This is, you know, I mean, obviously, writers are always trying to challenge themselves with things. I mean, do we want to challenge ourselves? Or do we want to... So there's a, there's a phrase we, we have a choice. We can either go broad or we can go deep. Mm -hmm. So plot, that plot orientation might be broad. And when you're broad, it's kind of superficial, Uh, deep might be, you know, a character, you know, James Joyce Ulysses, perhaps I I have not read it, but some people have, you know, maybe that's a deep uh, investigation of character. Um, And maybe if that's the broad and this is the deep, maybe there is someplace in the middle, you know,
4: Okay.
0: The, the 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 reader some 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 things are determined by reader preference, right? But also some things are, you know, we teach the reader how to read the work. You know, I read Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yes, yes. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was but very I, interesting. did yeah. I think I was gonna learn something about my myself and my character through reading it? No. Did I feel like it was a good thing to read while my kids were playing at the playground? Yes. You know, could I pick it up anywhere and just read it? Yes. So it's just, it's just different. You know, do do okay. what you feel passionately about. You know, that's, that's the thing. Um, okay.
3: Let's, uh, I had another question before I move on. Actually, um, when I was thinking about this story, I thought this would be the first story of my book. But so happened that you know, as I was progressing to other stories, I realized I had a few real life stories. Do you think that uh, telling real life stories, I have to stick? I, I can fictionalize real life stories or just keep it as it is? Would uh, how would you suggest should I progress with that? Well, you know,
0: there's. I mean, I I I write. Uh, sometimes we. It, When we fictionalize real life stories, we think of them as autobiographical fiction. The degree in which we're always, you know, not to get philosophical about it, but we're always writing from our experience. You know, so do we change the names of things? Do we change the places? Do we you know, what what does it mean to fictionalize things? We're always gonna be writing our vision. We always we always want to see but as writers I think what we want to do is we wanna say what is the conflict, who are the characters, am I writing a narrative? it's more important to decide whether you're going to write a narrative with characters or whether you're going to write a thesis and whether you're going to write an idea book where the ideas are dominant and uh, physical details come to support those ideas or whether you're writing a character-driven work where the physical characters are the most important issue and ideas are something that, you know, usually Mm -hmm. exist off the page. Um, it's it's up to you what 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 drives you. I would just I would just experiment. The the great thing to do is develop characters. Try try to um, identify the conflict. Try to identify mm-hmm. the protagonist and the antagonist. The rest of it doesn't matter as much. I don't think. Okay. Stories mm-hmm. are stories. Um, oh. You know. Thank you much. Thank you. One, of, one of the answers might be like, you know, in your real life, do you feel like you're grappling, you know, probably if you're writing about your real life, you are going to be going deep, you know, and you have to find, you have to find this universal um, and very crucial uh, story arc in your own life and really examine it. And I think that that can be really useful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if that's something that you, that you want to pursue, that can be really great. Anyway, um,
2: uh, Otis, I was uh, wanted to do a I quick so time I
0: check. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Um, okay, so let, let me just go, can I just go quick? I only have a couple of works uh, this week. And uh, that was that one, so let's see. Um, did someone, uh, let's see, this worked Um, uh, NM is NM here?
4: Yeah, that's me, Sundar, Yeah.
0: Oh, Sundar. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Hi. Um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed this piece. I was wondering. Uh, let's see. Maybe. Maybe just for the sake of time, if you can just re- if could you read just a little bit less and just do uh, you see my mark here?
4: Okay. So um, from. Yeah, from, no, no. from unbelievable oh. downwards, or?
0: Yeah, just that, just that paragraph. And actually, maybe if you could just read that one line of do- dialogue, Rajan. Okay. Okay. So.
4: okay. Unbelievable. Steve was the first to react. That let loose a torrent of reaction. Mary Walters seemed to watch it with an air of detachment. Nothing escaped her. She knew that the cameras were recording every facial tick. Yet, she didn't think it fair to stop the reaction. She wasn't worried about the case. How would Rajan handle his 15 minutes? What if it was more than 15 minutes? She had no doubt that this was George Bull's way of selling more memberships and books and tapes and gain a boost in his standing among the millions of evangelical Christians. She turned her attention to Rajan. Rajan, I'm sorry. Daisy seemed concerned about the effect on Rajan. She turned to Mary Walters.
0: um yeah what um i'm uh sundar I'm, I'm i'm curious you know given given our conversation what what do you think that um uh, this piece might might benefit from like what would be what would be some ways that you might uh grapple with developing this work
4: so can i just give a wee bit of context first
0: sure yeah yeah, yeah so,
4: so this is a uh uh, Rajan is the protagonist, and uh, he, in the midst of a TV interview uh, or an t- interview for a TV show, uh, they, the, the journalists there discover that he, is going, he and they are going to get sued for a show that they did previously. Um, and so the, what's just passed is the press conference announcement by the plaintiffs that they're going to su- sue everybody from Rajan to the publisher to the uh, Rajan's an author, Uh, to the journalists who've done a show about him uh, with the antagonist who's a, who's a television preacher. So that's, that's the context. So they're all in the studio and the lawyer, which is Mary Walters has been asked to come in uh, to watch the press conference with the journalists and the protagonists. So uh, Daisy is a, is a is a love interest that is hinted at, but she's also a character on the show on the in the book so that's that's the overall and steve is a friend is the publisher really and a friend
0: is so it, is it is it based is it based on something that's true no no no, <laughs> it, it, no. it feels very true
4: it's <laughs> it's uh, it, it's somewhat satirical in the in the way the media works and and how People get famous and lose fame, so yeah. that's yeah. that's more the uh, intent here. So, um, I guess in that, in that specific paragraph, I I saw your comments, and as soon as you uh, you know, as I, as soon as I saw your comments, I realized it was true. Is that there are too many characters in one little uh, piece. Uh, so that was so. If somebody's following the plot closely, it's not so much of an issue, but I know in many cases, people stop, come back to it after a while and can be confusing. So that part right. definitely, I yeah, go ahead. I, uh, I, in
0: this in this piece, I there's a lot of attention basically paid to the antagonistic force, yes. to me, and, yes. um, and Rajan, I'm just assuming is the protagonistic force, yes. you know, yes. in, in a lot of ways. But yes. uh, he's not really showing up on the page. And because he doesn't show up on the page, I also can't identify with him. Right. The protagonist. So the protagonist and antagonist are the equal forces in the conflict, right? Yes. So they're equal. They can be equally right in whatever. But basically, the audience identifies with the protagonist. That's the mm-hmm. thing that distinguishes the protagonist. So we do have to create that mm-hmm. space for mm-hmm. the reader to kind of attach to their struggle. It's not only... Yet here, I do have a sense of what's going to happen Mm -hmm. for sure. But what I don't have is what, why do I care? Because I also don't, because I don't know who I'm supposed to care about. Okay. And I, and I don't know what finally the larger struggle is, right? What's the internal struggle? So this is kind of an opportunity to apply some of the things I've talked about. Yes. I get the external struggle. There's, you know, uh, uh, George Bull and, you know, the evangelicals and all of that. They're trying to advance basically their book sales or whatever by right. playing this political slash religious argument. And, uh, and then Rajan is, is, you know, but I don't I don't know him. He's not on the page enough for me okay. to recognize him and root for him. Yes. And, and I don't have a sense of him as a human being. I mean, this is the big thing. I need to have a sense of him as a human being because I have to be involved, not just in the external struggle, if I know him as a human being, then I have insight to his internal struggle. Mm-hmm. you know um, then because because his internal struggle actually mirrors my internal struggle. I also have internal struggle, right mm-hmm. I don't share I, I'm not I'm not part of the media. I don't have this going on. I don't have these specifics of the external struggle going on, but I do have the internal struggle, and that's how I identify and so we have to get that on a page the other the other thing here is that it's largely abstract so the physical reality of this world is mm-hmm. not very much on the page and therefore yes. i can't really imagine it and yes. it's interesting that you know a lot of this is in dialogue dialogue just when it's on the page is just i mean all dialogue is is a voice yes right it's not it's not a physical person speaking unless i'm aware of that physical person mm-hmm. so there's a lot of phys- you you're right that there's a lot of characters here so that's hard to organize but um but i also don't have and, and actually i i'm working with someone who's writing a, a scene that takes place in a in a tv studio and god it's hard i mean it basically it's just a very hard environment <laughs> um more, more people are more problems um we can talk to our playwright and she'll tell us you know how you know and in, in the play you might have six characters but two characters will walk to the front of the stage, right? Mm-hmm. So that we focus on them. And mm-hmm. it's very hard, you know, managing. When we write, when we write narrative, we're just like a playwright. We, are, we have to be stage managers. We have to be costumers. We have to be makeup artists. We have to mm-hmm. do everything. Yep. Right? We have to do the casting. <laughs> we have to do all of it. And, and if we don't do any of those things, then those things do not exist on the page, yes. Right. Yes. So, and and if and if, if I can't see the stage, and I can't mm-hmm. see the characters on the stage, then we have to recognize that in my in my brain, basically nothing is happening or very little. Yes. Um, but I get it. I, yeah. uh, I love I love this setup though. I really there's a ton of energy. I love the beginning. I was involved right away. I mean, it, it was, it's intellectual. It's not imaginative. So I just want to add the imaginative so that I can really go into Understood. the
4: world. Understood. Uh, the uh, one question is, as I said, this this whole thing is a takeoff on the media part of it. So given the setting, I've got these tweets kind of spread across. Um, and that's what that, that thing in there with the ampersands and the uh, yellow. Uh, yeah, mark. yeah. So does, does that make, I mean, to me it made sense as I was writing it, but... I don't know as a read <laughs> Yeah,
0: I know. This is, this is our struggle. All, well, that's great. Yes, it makes sense while we're writing it, which is great because it means that you're really in the zone and channeling what you're putting on the page.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't really know how to deal with stuff like that. I just go back, to, I go back to fundamentals. I know something about the reader. The reader, basically, remember the human animal is involved in avoidance. So this, this human animal, my reader, they want to avoid their world. Mm-hmm. How do they avoid their world? By going into our world. Mm-hmm. So we have to provide that world. That's going to be largely a physical reality. I would be very careful about abstractions. So, okay. you know, uh, a tweet finally is another abstraction. It's not. It's not a physical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the time, in the time of COVID. You know, we might as well we might as well be as physical as possible and have characters interact with each other physically because we can't do that. All we have left is Zoom. Yeah.
4: So, yeah. Um, I
0: better I better hurry. On, I think I only yeah, have one. Not a problem.
4: Hour. Not a problem. Yeah, we can win. I'm I'm okay. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Maybe I get two more. Let's see. Um, oh no, that's this one. That's that one. Um, I'm sorry, I'm having a little trouble operating this. That tr- oh, this is the one, the the dream. Um, and who uh, who wrote this dream one? Are you here? Uh, sorry, I, I, I don't have it connected to uh, your work. Well, okay, I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna talk about this briefly without the reading. But anyway, this is a this is a dream. So I really enjoyed the writing here. It was wild. It was hallucinogenic, like dreams can be, and uh, and it was and it was involving. But our problems are gonna be. What's at stake? Okay. So the big thing about the protagonist and the antagonist in this conflict is that there's something at stake. The protagonist is at stake. I identify with this protagonist and I worry about what's going to happen. Those are the stakes. And I turn the page to find out, right? That's the basic program. In a dream, there's only one person, right? And it's also not even a physical reality. So it's going to be very difficult. To do something with a dream from a story point of view. The writing is great, but from a story point of view, where a story is a conflict between A and B, in which the reader identifies with A, the protagonist, and wonders what's going to happen, we're not going to be able to have that. That's a, that's the not, not not to be I'm sorry if I'm being too curt about it. I don't mean to, you know, the writing is great. Everyone is, you know, it's it's material. It's things that we care about. There are things that are funny here, but the things that make me feel something, which is what we're trying to do. So one of my little maxims is that as writers, we are not trying to, uh, the, sorry, the reader does not read to read about an experience. They read to have an experience. So then I get to, what is it to have an experience? To have an experience means that I have an emotional modulation over time. That's what experience is, or it feels like experience. I'm having an emotional modulation over time, meaning my body is reacting. Sometimes my heart beats fast. Sometimes I hold my breath. Sometimes I go... It's basically a series of tension and release over time in a story. So to do that, I again say I have to worry about what's going to happen. I have to be aware about whether the character gets what they want or doesn't, which they don't. Like I did not get my wallet. Kumar did not get his hamburger. Um, uh, Jake Giddis was not able to avoid the emotions that he felt in Chinatown, right? We don't, we don't, provide, we don't provide that. So this is is bringing our writing up from the level of, okay, we've written something to a story. A story is a dynamic event that takes place over time that makes the reader feel things. And if we can do that, that means, well, we're going to be showered with gold. Let's face it. That's a joke. That's a joke, everybody. (laughs) Um, Okay, I think I better wrap up. You're all way way past my bedtime. If I was there, so I'm so sorry I went so long. Um, But uh, and I think I I I I did the work that I received, and so if I haven't for some reason, I have not meant to slight anyone. I somehow some glitch took place so um send me your work for next week i think um ravi is gonna talk a little bit oh no not ravi sorry um but i don't know if you want to talk about changing the time
2: right right no uh, thanks so uh you know for the last three weeks we have been doing this on uh, on wednesday mornings and uh, uh <clears throat> Now that the time has changed, daylight savings has ended and we're back to regular Pacific time. It's a little getting a little late in here in India, especially on a weekday. And then some people in the US have also, uh, who want to join, have said that because this is in the morning hours, their time, and they have office work and calls and so on, they cannot. So uh, we did this today, Wednesday, and the next week after Diwali, we'll, uh, we'll look at a couple of different time slots so uh, discussing with Otis, and most likely we will try and do this on Sunday that is Sunday morning US time which will again be Sunday evening late evening India time so my hope is that uh, you know it won't conflict with any uh, you know midweek midweek commitment That uh, we may have, and we'll try this for a couple of weeks and see how it goes. And if uh, you know people think that we should revert back to a Wednesday or some other weekday time, then we'll do that. But for uh, starting next week, uh, we'll uh, and I think it's going to be on the twenty-first or twenty-second, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, We'll do it uh, on Sunday. And for those of you who have registered on the Zoom webinar, you should get when they make the change, you should get an updated email from Zoom uh, notifying you of the updated time and so on. so hopefully you know, we'll see you uh, in a little over a week from now and uh, uh, best wishes for Deepavali, you know, uh among other things, make sure you burst trackers. It's important to, to, to celebrate with a lot of uh, noise and happiness also. And thank you Otis uh, for this. And in a few days, we'll put this up on YouTube also for those of you who couldn't join or missed. Uh, so thank you and bye. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks everyone.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.